Bibles this morning, please join me in Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter 3. This morning we're going to be looking at Behold the Promise of Christmas. Behold the Promise of Christmas. Did you know the first Christmas message was preached at least 4,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ? It's found in Genesis chapter number 3. In particular, it's found uh, specifically in verse number 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15. Just remember the background here of this particular passage of Scripture. The temptation of man has resulted in the fall of man. And the fall of man has resulted in the death of man. Man is dying. And the world in man is cursed. There's a curse. And when we get to verse number 14... Uh, God's attention shifts and he speaks to the serpent. He speaks to the devil. And as he's speaking to the devil, the devil's there, Adam's there, Eve's there, God's there. I want you to notice what he says to the devil because here we see God make a promise concerning Christmas. Behold the promise of of Christmas. The word behold, before we look at the text, is a fascinating word. It, it means to capture your attention, to be at awe at something, to be shocked and surprised. It's kind of the way my uh, children uh, felt the first time they saw the turkey this year uh, that their dad cooked. It was edible. It was good. Everything was fine. To God be the glory. But they were beholden to the golden turkey uh, that dad was able to produce with the help of John Grady Robertson. Thank you, son, for your help. This was a, I mean, a blessing. Just a wonderful blessing. But it captured their attention. So too, this passage of Scripture captures our attention because it sees a promise that God makes to us. Uh, if you found your place in the Word of God and you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? We're only going to read one verse. We're going to read verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. Notice what the text says. And... So he's talking about things he's already spoken to. Again, the Lord God is speaking to the servant. He just simply says in verse 14, because you've done this, there's a curse on the ground. There's a curse on you. And he says in verse 15, I will put enmity. Now that word enmity means to declare war. He says, I, the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of mankind, the creator of all, Declare war between the devil and the woman. There's a war between the two of you. And between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This verse by scholars, uh, many scholars call this the Proto-Evangelium. Which is a big long word that means the first time the gospel is ever presented. Look at it again and see if you can see the gospel in it. He says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Behold the promise of Christmas. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, the best that I know how, once again, I yield myself to you only to preach your word. I hide myself behind the cross. May I ever the more decrease and you ever the more increase. Speak to our hearts from this text. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for everything that you're going to do. We love you. We thank you. And ask your blessings upon this now in Christ's name. Amen. When I was a child in elementary school, I went to 
uh, a school uh, called Ann Cathy. It started as Ann Cathy. Ann Cathy was a Catholic school, and um, by the time I got there, they had transitioned into a public school. And so I can remember going to school there at Ann Cathy, and it was an old school. My mom went there. Uh, it was dilapidated. It was falling in. So they decided to build a newer school in North Gadsden, just up the road from where Ann Cathy was. So they built that new school, and they renamed it. They called it Thompson Elementary, and that's where I went to school. I can remember going to school. I can remember my mom driving me to school. We had an old Oldsmobile. It was a boat. I mean, that thing was huge. It was yellow. I called it the banana. I mean, it looked just like a big banana, and I loved it as a kid. I mean, there were plenty of room. You could get back in the back seat. It was one of them cars or one of those vehicles that you could get up in the back, you know, where the speakers are and lay down. How many remember doing that? Remember laying down as you travel? Believe it or not, I did that too uh, when I was a child, and there was nothing like my mom or dad saying, hey, watch this, and pumping the brakes, you know, real quick and watching me roll, and, and I didn't think it was funny, but they just laughed and laughed and laughed. They thought it was hilarious. Well, I can remember my mom taking me to school on one particular occasion, and she would always drop me off, and she would always pick me up. On this one particular occasion, however, I ended up being the very last one at school. I was devastated. I mean, I was hurt. I just could not believe uh, that my mom had forgotten me. It was me and the teacher, and that was it. I'm talking about the principal had left. They had locked the doors to the school. It was me, the teacher, underneath the awning, standing there, tears running down my cheek, uh, looking up at my teacher going, they forgot about me. My mom has forgot about me. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm probably the property of the estate, uh, the state already. I mean, and she's, you know, and I kept looking over the horizon, looking for the yellow banana to come over the hill. And finally, just in brokenness and almost unconsolable, here come the yellow banana over the hill. And mom, she was driving like crazy. Man, she had two wheels getting in there and pulling up. And she got out of the car and she walked around the front of that vehicle. And there I was. She, you could tell I'd been crying. I'd been upset. And she got down on one knee and she grabbed me by the shoulders. And she said, Shane, I love you. I promise I will never forget you I will always remember I will always come for you I'm sorry I was a little late she tried to explain it to me but I was just a little kid I didn't understand I just wanted to kick her in the shin to be honest with you but I didn't I just why let me tell you the reason why because she said I'll take you to McDonald's and she bought me a happy meal and everything was good with the world I mean so but she made that promise to me John she said I'm never going to forget you I'm never gonna forget you listen to me very carefully in the midst of sin in a sin-sick world, and oftentimes we wonder, is God real? God made a promise a long time ago. He said, I will never, ever forget you. I am going to make a way for man to get to God. That's his nature. God's nature is love. And we find here in this passage of Scripture, 4,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, we see, if you will, the promise of Christmas. Say, so, well, where do you see this? Where do you see this promise? Look at the Bible one more time. Look at verse number 15. If you have your pens out, I would underline the phrase, I will. I will. That is God saying, I promise. I promise you. I am declaring war on the devil and I am going to make a way for mankind to get to me. 
I am not going to let mankind suffer and die in his sins without providing a sacrifice, without providing a way, without providing an opportunity for mankind to come back home to me. You see, one of the great things about God is God has given each one of us something that he hasn't given anybody else on this planet, and that is a free will. You have the sovereignty of God. God in his great sovereignty created everything. Uh, the wonderful scriptures uh, over in the pastoral epistles share with us that all things cre created and exist because of God. His sovereignty holds everything together. But also in his great sovereignty, he has a tremendous amount of love, which is by his very character. And in that love, he's given each one of us, you and I, an opportunity to choose to love him or to reject him. He did the same for Adam and Eve. He gave Adam and Eve a choice. He put them in a beautiful garden, a garden of perfection, a garden of great love and mercy and grace. The Bible says that man walked with God in the cool of the day, that man walked with God. He talked with God. Oh, it's the very essence of that beautiful hymn in the garden. But we find here that because of the free will of man, man made a choice, a conscientious choice, if you would, Eve was deceived, the Bible said. But man willingly, knowing the consequences, knowing what God had said, partook of the fruit. And then he blamed Eve. Y'all remember that? None of our men here blame our wives. I know. Y'all are all godly people. And said, uh, it's her fault. <laughs> her fault. And then what did Eve go? Eve said, no, it's the devil's fault. And well, God knew that the whole time. And so God says, I am declaring war on you, devil. And the war that I'm declaring upon you is a promise that I'm making from this day forward. Behold, the promise of Christmas. Let me show you a couple of things about this text, and we'll close out today. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is the reason for the promise. The reason for the promise. Again, notice the text. The Bible says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The birth of Jesus Christ, and therefore the Christmas holiday itself, would be completely unnecessary if it weren't for sin. Sin, we find there, in essence, is the reason for the season. You may have heard it said like this, Jesus is the reason for the season. While that is a very true statement, and it's, and it's worthy to be said during this holiday season. Jesus is the reason for the season. But ultimately, when you go all the way back to Genesis, and you go all the way to chapter 3, all the way to verse number 15, you come to the conclusion that ultimately, sin is the reason for the season. Hey. The reason for the promise that God had given to us is because of sin. The sin of mankind is the dark backdrop against which the glorious first Christmas message was given. We can never fully understand the glory of Christmas until we first clearly understand the depths of mankind's sin. We are hopelessly sinners before God. The Bible is clear that when it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us cannot get to the glory of God in and of ourselves. We can't live right enough. We can't live pure enough. We can't keep the commandments enough. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 15, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all exception, that Christ Jesus came into the world 
to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul said, I am the number one chief of all sinners, and Jesus Christ is the one that came to save me in my sin. But not only me, but everyone that's in sin. And he goes on to say, he says, that's worthy of all exceptions. He says, that is deserving of your full attention. I would say it this way this morning. I'd say, listen to me very carefully. Please pay attention to what I'm saying. Jesus died for your sins. That's how I would say it today. I would call one to attention. That's what Paul was saying there. He says it deserves your full, undivided attention that Jesus Christ died for sins. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, put it this way. For then must he often had suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world hath he approved or appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. If I paraphrase it, I'd say something like this. For then he would have suffered repeatedly since the foundations of the world. But because of the sinless, spotless Son of God, Jesus, being 100% God and 100% man, died on Calvary's cross for our sins. He was the God-man that God sacrificed. He willingly gave his life so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. Romans 5, uh, chapter 5 and verse number 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Why do we die? We die because of sin. So the reason for the promise is sin. Number two. Let me show you a second thing about this text. The second thing I want you to notice is the revelation of the promise. The revelation of the promise. Look at the text again. He says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Now, if you have your pens, I would underline, or highlighters, or whatever you have, I would underline the word thy seed and her seed. Thy seed and her seed. Why? Well, let's deal with thy seed first. Thy seed in respect to the devil. He says, I am declaring war, God says. I'm going to declare war on your seed, devil. Your seed and her seed. Now, when God said, thy seed, your seed, devil, who is he referring to? Well, the Bible says, before you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, ye are of your father, the devil. So he says, I am declaring war against everyone. In this planet, everyone that's going to come following uh, this fall, there's a war between this planet, me, and this planet, and everybody that's born after that. And they're all the father, you're the father of it all, devil. And then he says, I'm going to put this war between thy seed and her seed. Now, there's an interesting phrase. The reason why this is so interesting, because the Bible, when the Bible refers to seed, it always refers to his seed. It never refers to her seed unless it's talking about this particular promise. Why? Well, because this particular promise is clarified by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, in verse number 14, the scripture says this, Therefore... The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There is no doubt that the prophecy that Isaiah was talking about is a direct reference to uh, to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 in speaking of her seed. 
Her seed is none other than the Virgin Mary. It would not be a regular conception. It would be what we know as an immaculate conception. It is what we know as to be a miracle. Jesus Christ came from the seed of woman. He was 100% man, but his father was God. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit came over him. Uh, came over Eve, or excuse me, excuse me, came over Mary. And as the Holy Spirit came over Mary, we see that Mary conceived Jesus. I, I love what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 1 in verse 18. L- listen to what the scripture says. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, that is before they had sex, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Uh-oh, that's a problem. Verse 19 says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. That means he was righteous. That means he didn't, he, he didn't have sex with her before they got married. That's what that means right there. He was a righteous man. And he was not willing to make her a public example. What that means is he thought she was sleeping around on him. Because all of a sudden now she's up and pregnant. And now that she's up and pregnant, he's like, I'm, I do not want to put her away publicly. I, I'm a righteous man. I'm a, I'm a man of God. I want to do this very quietly. I'm not going to marry her, but I love her enough to put her away quietly. And so he says he was minded to do that privately, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, verse 22 is the key. Notice what it says. Now, all of this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, who's the prophet? Isaiah, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised up from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bid him. And he took unto him his wife and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Emmanuel. I'm going to tell you what. If there's anybody in Scripture that had any inkling of self-control, it was Joseph. Joseph was a self-controlled man led by the Spirit of God, submitting himself to the very works of God. And therefore, God blessed him to be the earthly father of Jesus, stepdad that is, because God was his true father. You see, Jesus was 100% man, yet 100% God. Jesus was born to Mary in Bethlehem. And upon that birth, it was unique in that it was the seed of woman. God was the father. She was a virgin who came. So the revelation, if you would, of the promise is what? The virgin birth. So if you're trekking with me, here's what, we, what it looks like. The reason for the promise, sin. The revelation of the promise, the virgin birth. Number three. Let's go to this last one very quickly. The result of the promise. The result of the promise. Notice with me the text, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head... And thou shalt bruise his heel. I would underline, bruise thy head and bruise his heel. Here in the Hebrews, a very fascinating passage. It's a wonderful study. It's referring to the fact that as God invaded this planet to join battle, if you would, uh, if you, to battle against Satan, uh, we see that this baby is not an ordinary baby. Again, this baby that's coming from her seed is none other than the Messiah. 
the Messiah being born of a virgin that grew up uh, grew up in a sinless, with a sinless body and a sinless life. He grew up. He went to Calvary's cross. He bled. He died. He took our sins upon himself. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. He was unique in the fact that the result of the promise produced Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for our sin. Jesus was born on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose was to crush the head of Satan. Say, where do you see that? Let's look at the text once again. He tells us here in this passage in the latter part of the verse, it shall bruise thy head. The word bruise there in the Hebrew, there in verse number 15, means to crush. It means a mortal wound. He says, it shall bruise thy head. It will crush Satan's head. It's a very fascinating word. It is a word picture, if you will, of the heel of the conqueror coming down upon a serpent and grinding that serpent down into the ground. It is a mortal wound, a deathly toll that's placed upon the devil. And then watch this. He says, and thou shalt bruise his heel with the same type of uh, uh, illustration, if you will. He uses again, uh, the English writers use the word bruise. It's a fascinating Hebrew word. It means a temporary wound. A temporary wound. Uh, uh, something that heals uh, over time. It, it's something that happens. Uh, a couple of <clears throat> uh, weeks ago, I was uh, uh, doing something outside and I went to take a step and I rolled my ankle. You ever rolled your ankle? Man, that hurts like all get out. My stars. I rolled my ankle and I hobbled around on that thing for a little while. And then I finally put a brace on it. I want to be honest with you. Even right now, when I do that right there, it's still a little, still a little sore. But it's healing. It was a temporary wound. A temporary wound. He's saying there that the seed of woman will have a temporary wound. What is that temporary wound? Calvary. The temporary wound that he's referring to, that God is referring to here in the text, is Calvary. He's referring to the fact, or the picture, if you will, of the champion who may have crushed the head of the devil, crushed the head of Satan, but suffered a temporary wound, if you would. The serpent is destroyed, but the champion is healing. Boy, what a beautiful picture this is. For we see this, prof, this promise of Christmas is giving us Jesus. So, so what really is the promise of Christmas? If we are to behold the promise of Christmas, the promise of Christmas is none other than Jesus. And the reason for the promise is because of sin. And the revelation of the promise is the virgin birth. It's miraculous. It is an, an immaculate conception. And the result of the promise, watch this, is whosoever will. The result of the promise is whosoever will. What do you, where do you get that? Again, let me call your attention to the passage. He says there, thou shalt bruise his heel. That temporary bruising, that temporary wound, if you would, means that Jesus went down in what looked like defeat. We all know this to be Calvary. I love what the Bible says. Well, well, let me show you this. To take your Bibles and, 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 and let's look at this in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Here we see the suffering upon the cross means that Jesus 
crushed the head of Satan. Let me show it to you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 14. If you found your place, say amen. Okay, here we are. Watch it. Here it is. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, we're born in this world, also himself likewise took part of the same. Jesus also was born into this sin-sick world, yet he was without sin. Watch this. That, he says, through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is who? The devil. Jesus destroyed the devil on Calvary's cross and delivered them. Those that are saved through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, before I got saved, I was in a cell, a bondage, if you would, the bondage of sin and the bondage of death. But when I got saved, he opened up that door and I got out of that bondage and now I'm free and I can swing over hell on a dry corn stalk. I'm so saved, I can attack hell with a water pistol. I'm telling you what, Jesus is my Lord and when I die, I'm going to heaven because of the blood of Christ. So he says there. So you get excited about that. If you only knew the celebration I'm having in my heart right now. I mean, I, look, absolutely. That's why I love and cherish 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. That says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Oh, listen to me. I'm not preaching to be preaching. I'm not trying to get on my high horse. I'm not trying to use this as a bully pulpit. I'm trying to tell you the Word of God says, according to the Bible, according to the God that created this universe, He sent His Son Jesus to die on Calvary's cross. He took your sins. He died. And if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll know that you're saved. Why? Because it'll change you. He will, man. I'm telling you what. He changed me. I remember the day I gave my heart to Jesus. It was a day that I'll never forget. And I hadn't got over it. I love what 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says. Listen to this. 1 John 3, 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You see, dear friend, according to the Word of God, when you think about the promise of Christmas, and the promise of Christmas is Jesus, and you think about the reason for the promise, it's sin, and you think about the revelation of the promise, it's the virgin birth, and you think about the results of the promise, that whosoever will can be saved, can be secure, and to know where you're going to spend an eternity. I don't know about you, but to me... That's the greatest Christmas message I've ever read. You know, we uh, uh, go through 2018 and all through the course of this year, uh, all these uh, movies that come out between good and evil, uh, you know, uh, the Marvel movies, good's always against evil. It used to be the, the Star Wars movies, good against evil. The Lord of the Rings, good against evil. Did you know every one of those stories find their place? In Genesis, every one of them. Because we see the greatest and the truest defeat of evil in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, God couldn't even get three chapters into the love book he was writing us without telling us what was going to happen in the end. He said, listen, 
I know that when you read the first chapter, the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, it is a dark, dark, dark thing. Man falls deep into sin and death, and death passes upon all men. And then you get to chapter 3, where God turns to the devil and says, Come here. I'm going to tell you something. I promise, this very day, I'm declaring war against you. And it'll be with her seed. And she will bear a child. And that child will come forth and live a sinless life. And he will absolutely crush your head in the ground. And you will only bruise his heel. He is the victor. He is the prince of peace. He's the lily of the valley. He is the great morning star. He is the precious God. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's my Lord. He's my God. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And He's coming soon. Do you know Him? Do you know my Jesus? Let's bow for prayer. Behold, the promise of Christmas. The promise of Christmas is none other than Jesus. The reason for the promise, sin. The revelation of the promise, the virgin birth. The result of the promise, salvation for whosoever. I want to ask you the same question I asked the last hour and the hour before that. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? I'm not talking about based upon your church membership. I'm not talking about based upon your heritage or your genealogy. No, I'm talking about based on the Word of God. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? The promise of Christmas is that you can know you're going to heaven when you die. That's what 1 John 5.13 says. That's what John 3.16 says. And there's what Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 points to. The Messiah. You might say, well, you know what, Pastor? I, I want to trust Christ. I, I just, I'm not quite sure how. Well, the Bible also says in Romans chapter 9. If you'll confess with your mouth, Romans chapter 10, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Dear friend, you can be saved today by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. That simply says with the heart, cry out to God in your heart. And from your heart to God's heart, recognize yourself as being a sinner. Believe that Jesus truly is the Messiah. Confess and repent of your sins and trust Christ as your Savior. Say, preacher, I'd like to do that today. Could you help me? Why don't you say something like this to the Lord? Why don't you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And this morning I ask you, to forgive me of my sin. I repent and turn away from my sin and I turn to you. Thank you for saving me. I 
I'll live for you.